The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, to our makeshift studios Tommy Gorman. Uh, Tommy, an absolute pleasure. How are you? I'm just absolutely wonderful. It's amazing to be here in Boston and to feel connected, you know, to get a sense of that uh, wider Irish family. And you can smell it, you can feel it here. My son was here for uh, for four years. He He's just back, back working in Dublin now. But uh, we were over here to see him several times. And uh, you think you're in Galway when you're in Boston. <laughs> it's got that feel about it. And I was looking at Joe Kennedy last night. You know, the pale skin, uh, the red hair, and listening to him. And you were just so conscious that he's one of us. Mm. He really is. He has that feel about him. Uh, at that function that we were at last night, you really could get a a big sense of, of connectivity. So many familiar faces there. And uh, for me, you know, coming up to 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, it was Irish America sending up the signal, we're here, uh, we're tooling up, we're getting ready to travel. Uh, and I'm going back this evening, and that's what I'm going to take back with me. That sense that uh, the plates are beginning to shift again. Interesting times in Ireland. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you, you go anywhere in the States and pretty quickly you'll find people, you know, like like those people at the South Station, you know, claiming that Irish connection. Probably in no other city, though, do they wear it on their sleeve to the degree they do in Boston. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. I've been to several parts of the States, but I really feel at home here. Uh, I was walking the streets yesterday with Father Gary Donegan. Uh, he's from <coughs> County Fermanagh. He's now the acting parish priest in Ardoyne in Belfast, North Belfast. He's a soldier there for many years. And uh, we could have been in Belfast or in Sligo or in Galway or in Dublin, but we were in Boston and you just look around you and the people are, they're our own tribe. You get mm. that sense here. Yeah, Father Gary Dunnigan was my guest actually on the show yesterday and I'd recommend people listen back because we all remember those pictures from Holy Cross and we can imagine them on RT News or, or, or on the front page of newspapers and he went through that whole story in great detail. It was fascinating. So that's up as a, as a podcast. Um, by that stage, by 2001, you, you were in the North by then. Were you Northern correspondent by then? Yeah, uh, I came back from uh, Brussels uh, in 2001, October 2001. Uh, I was in Brussels for 12 years from 89 to 2001. But before that, from 80 to 89, I worked in the Northwest. And that included Derry and Donegal and Cavan and Monaghan and Sligo and Leitrim. So I had a sense of Northern Ireland, but... I suppose it was only when I became embedded, if I use the phrase, in Belfast and lived there um, for that two decades that flew and there were very interesting years. I suppose then the, then the love affair was cemented. It'll always be close to me, Northern Ireland, as a result of that time because you could feel the place improving dramatically. It was, you know, three years after the Good Friday Agreement and uh, I was listening to Monica McWilliams when she and Bertie Hearn were receiving honorary degrees there uh, last month in uh, DCU, and she made the you know the most important point of all about the last twenty five years that that there are many many people alive because of the Good Friday Agreement. You know you think about it, three thousand people died during the Troubles over three decades. 
So we're now two and a half decades since the Good Friday Agreement. So if you just do the sums and use an equivalence and ratio and proportion, we're probably talking about thousands of people who are alive today because of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's very moving if you think about it for any amount of time. And when you suggest that tectonic plates are moving again like they did 25 years ago, what do you mean? Uh, I mean that um, next month, April, isn't just going to be a period where people will reflect on the Good Friday Agreement and how it was achieved and what what has happened since. I get the sense that there's a real desire to uh, address uh, the unfinished business. Things were very complicated by Brexit. Uh, There was a huge European dimension to the Good Friday Agreement. The Brexiteers didn't seem to realise that. Uh, And for a while, I really wondered, was there an acceptable solution, a way of moving on post-Brexit. And there were times I really doubted it. But in the last three, six months, especially since Sunak took over and British government policy changed, and you heard some of that from Steve Baker, a junior minister in the Northern Ireland office in recent times, again last night, I really feel that there's a new uh, pathway opening up. Um, It's where the British are more engaged with Europe. It's where Northern Ireland has that opportunity to become a special place using that special, unique, in fact, EU identity where the island of Ireland uh, will get north and south, will get on better. And, uh, of course, you know, the announcement today, while, you know, you're on air, that um, Joe Biden is coming and it will be the most significant ever visit in the history of our country by a US president. Kennedy came for four days Uh, never travelled north. Bill Clinton was there north and south. But Joe Biden is coming at such a significant time with such an important message. And he's going to bring with him uh, economic heft at a time when Northern Ireland needs it. And for me now, the, the interesting space, the interesting question is, how will the DUP react? That's that's the last piece in the jigsaw. Uh, will they get on board? Will they take the opportunity now? Will Stormont reopen? Will Biden get to address the Stormont Assembly? Will some mechanism be found to do that? Or will they stay on on the fence for, for another while? Uh, and my belief, knowing them for as long as I do, mm. um, I think it's a matter of time. Uh, I don't think they'll stay out there forever. Uh, I think they want to get to that space I think it's very, very hard to make a turn, especially when you've got to do it in public, slide to the left, uh, or maybe make what some people would see as a U-turn. Uh, but I think there are enough sensible people within unionism to make sure that eventually uh, the DUP and others will get to that space because it's a no-brainer. What's mm-hmm. on offer is a no-brainer. Yeah, I think I heard someone describe it last night as the three-card trick, which should be impossible, but there it is for Northern Ireland to play. It's interesting because you, you would have witnessed in your time then in the North, from, from 2001 onwards, the DUP's fortunes changing so widely, you know, that they kind of, they absorbed so much of the Ulster Unionist Party. How how would you describe their trajectory more recently? And and how do you describe the electorate they represent? Um, I think... The big weakness in the Good Friday Agreement was the DUP were left outside the door. That was addressed. It was really tough 
on the Ulster Unionists and indeed on the SDLP because they were the party who took the risks. Hume provided the ideology. Hume was, Hume really was, the idealist behind the Good Friday Agreement. But of course, the recognition was you had to get Republicans on board. And I think that from 2007, if you're to look at what happened to the DUP and Sinn Féin, the two extremes who became partners in government, Sinn Féin have really moved ahead at speed. They had the hardest thing to do. They had to shade the links with the Republican movement. And you couldn't half do that. Uh, You had to do it 100%. The IRA had to go away. It had to end. The DUP's problem... um, We'll come back to... And you, knowing more about it than us, you'd be convinced they have done that. Because often one of the, the slings or the arrows kind of slung rather in their direction is that they haven't done it. You know, people talk about that prisoners club and all this sort of stuff and say, ah, oh, that's Mary Lewis to consult, you know, the old guard. Yeah, look, the old guard are still alive, still around, but the old guard are grandfathers. You know, the people that Jerry Adams would have consulted with would have known in the days of the IRA, they're in their 70s now. Uh, they're, you know, they're beyond that stage. I think the more frightening thing for the Republican movement is, you know, they have to devise a new strategy, a completely political strategy, and that's not going to be easy. But because they had to get rid of that IRA link, they forged ahead. The DUP, on the other hand, in Paisley's time, in Peter Robinson's time, in Arlene Foster's time, in Edwin Poot's very brief time, and now with Geoffrey Donaldson's time, they struggle to make that jump towards the middle ground at the expense of that small right-wing faction um, that's part of their support base. It does include the Orange Order, which is not small, but they've, they've always tried to bring everybody with them. And I think that's the reason why they haven't moved into that middle ground space. And that continues to be their difficulty. Um, and there's also the tradition within unionism of saying no is an honourable thing, of, you know, being the ones who say, no, 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 everyone else can be saying this, but we're staying outside. That is their tradition. But at the other hand, on the other hand, people like Robinson were pragmatists at heart. Um, and I've watched Jeffrey Donaldson over the years. Jeffrey Donaldson is canny. He's also a very decent person at heart. Uh, and I think they want to get into that space. And I think what's, what they have going for them now is there isn't really an enemy out there. You know, um, people generally want them to get on. And there's another factor that's kind of difficult for them to absorb. But the British government has made its decision. Um, Sunak, his best chance, um, it's against the odds, his best chance of being re-elected is to make Brexit work, to get on with the European Union, to rebuild relationships. Ireland is part of that relationship so if the DUP think that they can go and press a button in Westminster and Westminster mm-hmm. is going to jump to attention, that's over. So we find ourselves then in this situation, as you say, kind of tectonic uh, plates uh, moving, possibly uh, moving. Where does that leave? Let's imagine they do move I- I in the direction you predict and eventually the DUP, they, they don't stay outside the tent for that much longer, institutions get up and running. We see this economic package and investment from the states. We see the three-card trick being played. We've got prosperity, relative economic prosperity, north and south of the border, um, for all of the reasons uh, that the north enjoy advantages. Where does that leave 
the drift towards a united Ireland, if I'll describe that as the, 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 the direction of travel we have been on, or some have been on? Just think about homelessness in Ireland. Uh, think about people who haven't got a comfortable place to live. And then just translate that to 800,000 unionists. So you can have, in theory, a united Ireland if you had 50.1% in a referendum. But if you have three, four, five hundred thousand people who don't feel comfortable in that space, it'd be a pretty chaotic arrangement. So I listen to the language with, with interest. Um, and I think where people, the landing zone for people is in an agreed Ireland. Mm. Uh, and Hume, Hume's father's advice to him was, you can't eat a flag. Um, and if you've got a few pound or euro in, the, in your pocket, life is a lot better than if you have nothing. So I think the next phase in Ireland's maturing is going to be to try and have... You know, it was fascinating to hear Joe Kennedy talk about it, almost like Bobby Kennedy in terms of his interest in equality. He was talking about getting into the communities that haven't been touched by, by political agreement. And basically that means, to a large extent, working-class loyalism, the people who used, whose ancestors worked in the shipyards, yeah. and those people who have no hope. So I think the next phase of the agreed Ireland has to be to make Northern Ireland an economic success. Like, you look at our country, you look at all those people we met last night uh, who are doing well through Irish America, through foreign direct investment. Well, Northern Ireland now has got its opportunity to have its own tailor-made version of that kind of prosperity. In some respects, the South is almost overheated. That's why we can't provide enough accommodation for our people at acceptable levels of purchasing a house. Northern Ireland is this vacant space it has cheaper labour costs. It has people who are very, very willing to work. And I think the next phase that we're going to see, provided this Brexit scenario works out, will be a spreading of employment to Northern Ireland. Mm. Uh, it'll be an increased level of third-level education. It'll be outreach to loyalism. And I think that, that would be a, a success if you could see that kind of live-and-let-live attitude extended. You're right um, that uh, the United Ireland debate won't go away. But in some ways, Karen, I love the timing of things uh, and I see possibilities in the timing of things. And I think the Sinn Féin project now is so advanced that Mary Lou MacDonald really needs to get a gig the next time. Like, if they're the largest party on a second occasion and they're not in government, that means she's seven years in opposition. Mm. And that's not a great place to be. So I think Sinn Féin will be pushing to get into government. Um, and in that situation, there's nothing like power to bring a certain amount of pragmatism and maturity because you realise the limitations of your ability to transform things in government. and You've got to make tough decisions. And I think that would be the next stage of the maturing mm. and probably the flowering of Sinn Féin. And of course, if they make a hames of it, it'll be damaging to them. So... I see that sort of, that's the next phase in terms of politics for Sinn Féin, and I think that, will, that could coexist quite easily with the you know, economic improvement in Northern Ireland. So that's, that's why I, I, I think 
there are so many positives in it. There's one other very important point to make. I think the kind of killing that we saw uh, for far too long and the taking of innocent life, I think there's no taste for that in Ireland. Mm. I think there's no possibility of that happening in the next 10, 20 years because I don't think you would have the people who would hide the guns and turn a blind eye and open the door yeah. and, you know, keep people who are on the run. I just don't think that would you happen. You need that soft support to I, allow I, I, that I think that, yeah. and, and you just look at the way artificial intelligence and technology work now, I don't think you could sustain a guerrilla campaign yeah. in the modern world. Um, listen, it, it's obvious, despite the retirement, you're still so interested and invested uh, in what is happening there. It's interesting. We actually had your, your colleague Eileen Dunn on. We, we go halfway around the world and I'm speaking to people from Montrose just uh, down the road. Isn't it from, lovely? From the pirates and RTE, the officials. Uh, yeah. and the, uh, <laughs> the dissidents. <laughs> the dissidents, that's right. Um, it was, it, Eileen actually was funny. She was ta- I was asking her whether she, she kind of misses it. And I, on, on some level, she'd miss the buzz on some days, but she's enjoying retirement. But she said uh, one thing she doesn't miss is the kind of the social media aspect of it all and the the, the giving of opinions, uh, certainly from the newsroom. I mean, is that something that you'd imagine if, if, if you were starting out now, you might struggle with that as well? Did you, would you prefer journalists to keep, the, keep their views to themselves? Uh, I, I don't tweet. Um, I, uh, I don't do Instagram. And fortunately, RTE allowed me to do that, that I could go with the story uh, through... Uh, old-fashioned means, um, but do I miss the life? Do I miss do I miss RTE? Of course I do. You know, I, I had a great time. Uh, but will I stop being involved in journalism? Like I need journalism just for to get the energy back. Uh, I wrote a book last year. I'm back writing with the currency. Uh, they're lovely fellows to work with, uh, and like an event like the one we were at last night, uh, that will give me you know, energy for the next week or two. I could nearly fly home without a plane tonight. It was just, there was just so many interesting things there. Tell you a story about it. I saw Kathleen O'Toole there. And Kathleen O'Toole, she was a police commissioner here in Boston. The name like O'Toole, she had to have Irish blood. So she was one of the first people who became involved with Chris Patton in the reform of what was the RUC that became the PSNI. Then she got involved in another role, looking at, say, the reform of... uh, justice down south so Kathleen was telling me last night she's got this really big dilemma she'd love to be back for the Good Friday Agreement celebrations but her only daughter Megan uh, will give birth during April it'll be her first grandchild but she said to me all things going well there'll be three generations of us back in Ireland in November for Megan's graduation, she's been doing a master's in Trinity. Okay. And she said there'll be three generations on a plane to Ireland in November. So just to hear a story like that last night, you know, something to take back with me. Yeah, lovely story. Kathy O'Toole was my guest a little bit earlier, actually. And, and people can listen back to what she had to say here on The Hard Shoulder as well. It's a podcast. It's on the News Talk app. Tommy Gorman, it has been an absolute pleasure. Tommy, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me on. The Pirates. <laughs> the Pirates are back. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.